0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. How do you do self-care and sanity when you are a mother of five? You're working from home, and you live on a farm. Oh, and you are building an empire. Well, according to Rebecca Baruki, who is the founder of Beck's Life, she says, you do it in four minutes. Rebecca Baruki is the founder of the Blissed In Wellness Movement. She's also the founder of Beck's Life, a popular website about her life. She's a mother of five, a TV host, a yoga and meditation guide, an author, a speaker, a birth doula, and a life transformation and resilience coach. And she travels a ton, sharing her love for yoga and wellness and meditation at workshops around the country and world. She teaches meditation as a profound act of self-care. She's the author of the book, You Have Four Minutes to Change Your Life, Simple Four-Minute Meditations for Inspiration, Transformation, and True Bliss. It was released by Hay House in 2017. So I'm so glad to get her on the phone. She ducked into one of the side rooms of her house. Some of her kids were in the house in the other room, and she talks all about it on the show. In today's episode, we talk about how she needs time to shut the door, lay in bed and watch Netflix, her experience with pregnancy and miscarriage, how she manages kids that are in college and young toddlers at the same time. We talk about her upbringing and how hard it was and how it led her to her business and her life today. She shares a bit about her program called Managing the Mother Load" and her strategies for making it work. And we also talk about her living on an eight acre farm in New Jersey. This one's a great one. I can't wait to bring it to you. Here we go. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Okay, so this month we are kicking off the first inaugural Startup Pregnant Mastermind. And because it's happening this month, I wanted to share a little bit more about it in case you've heard about it and you were on the fence or you didn't apply. We've got a brilliant group of women coming together, and they represent folks from all over, from big startup founders to solopreneurs to people thinking about becoming mothers to people new in parenting. And I'll give you a little bit of an inside look at how it works. Every month, we meet at the top of the month to do a planning and visualization exercise. So I walk you through the planning process that I use and give you prompts for visualizing different things that you want to call into your life and what success would look like for you. It's all pre-recorded, so people get to do them bite-sized at their own pace, and I send them out via email, and then we share our plans with each other and have a live component where we connect and i'm online chatting with folks in our private group replying to your plans and questions and then in the middle of each month we do we do a check-in group coaching call to dig in and unpack the kind of sticky parts of well what worked and what didn't work and where are you stuck and what's come up for you and that's it. It's, a, it's this two-week rhythm, a monthly planning, and then a mid-month coaching call. And I find that it is so tremendously helpful to stay in community, to circle with other women, and to make progress in this fashion. I love designing these programs and figuring out how to create structures that support people. So we are off for the next nine months. We are headed off and we're off. And I will, of course, have updates for you. And yes, I am taking my own maternity leave in the middle of it. I thought long and hard about whether or not to launch a program while I was pregnant or wait until my littles were not quite so tiny. And I asked myself, how can I do this and stay aligned as both a parent and as a business owner? Of course, like anything that we do, this could work and it could be a big giant mess. And what I know is that I am ready and capable of dealing with both. It's not necessarily an easy question to figure out how to coordinate work and babies and launches and life and everything in between. But after sitting with it, I just kept asking myself, how can this be easier? How can this be asynchronous? How can this be supportive? How can this be a great structure and be a smaller and simpler version of the vision that I have for this program?" which allows for both a maternity leave and for the success of the people in it. So in a future episode, I'll talk about how I designed everything like that. But I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that applied and everybody that put their heart and soul into it. If you were thinking about applying or you were curious about the mastermind program, definitely go over to startuppregnant.com slash mastermind. Get your name on the email list because we will be running this again in 2019. And, you know, fill out the application. I've had people tell me that filling out the application was more useful than they expected. Even just the process of sitting and answering those questions was really helpful. So go get on the email list so I can tell you about when it happens next time. Or just go over to the Startup Pregnant website because there's a whole bunch of resources about how I facilitate and what a mastermind program is. So if you don't want to wait until next year when I'm hosting another one, you can also start your own. This is an idea that's free and open to the public and has changed my life. So if you want to start your own, highly encourage you to do that as well. All right, let's get into today's episode. Everyone, I am so excited to have Rebecca Baruchi on the show. Bex, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you
1: for having me. What? Like a... I s- yeah, oh, go ahead. Okay. I said I was just going to say how excited I am to talk about myself and not about diapers <laughs> for a minute, but we probably are going to talk about those too. So. Come
0: up. My kid is currently really mad if I don't give him an Elmo diaper. So,
1: you know, <laughs> diapers. Well, it's so funny how they're so small and they have such big opinions about things. And I wonder, how did you have the time to cultivate such strong opinions in your short lifespan, because I'm still trying to figure out what I think about things. But
0: I know, (laughs) it's like so fiercely them. So early on, and it's kind of amazing to witness, slash take inspiration from.
1: Exactly. They are our little teachers.
0: So the first question I love asking people on this podcast is to give us a little bit of grounding in what your life looks like today right now. So what time did you wake up in the morning? What was your morning like today? Not like this mythical, magical, perfect morning routine, but just what was today like?
1: I'm already laughing almost hysterically because today has been a day. (laughs) Um, Well, I told you before we started that my pants are still on backwards from (laughs) seven hours ago. And I realized they were on backwards because I haven't even had time to fix that yet. So I woke up this morning, I put my pants on backwards. My 20-year-old is back at home for a semester because she's dealing with some health stuff. So she's been back at home with us, which is wonderful and also extremely annoying at the same time to be living with another grown woman who (laughs) still doesn't do her laundry. But that's okay. I love her. She's great. She's a smart girl. Uh, So she sprained her ankle. So we drove her to her finals today. She's finishing up the semester. I've been rushing around. I had another podcast this morning tying up a sales page for a new coaching program that I'm launching, which is super fun, and also Netflix because I have to fit that in in between. So I had to tell the three-year-old I wasn't going to play with her blocks with her this morning because I needed some self-care time, which was an Osho documentary on Netflix. And here I am with you. So I've had four hard-boiled eggs because that's what I had time for. My pants are on backwards. The kids are scattered. My husband's taking care of it, thank goodness. I'm excited to be talking to you now. That's my day
0: so far. I love that so much because (laughs) that's like captures everything that's true about motherhood. And I'm in New York City and there are sirens that go by. So there you go. (laughs) This is just what it is. So you're the mom of five. And please, I mean, I'm sure we could talk for like 17 years about this, but tell us Mm -hmm. about your parenting and your pregnancy journey.
1: Oh my God. Well, I've had so many of them.
0: I know. (laughs) Well, my first pregnancy, I was 19 years old, and that was 21 years
1: ago at this point. And it's so interesting. You know, I get asked this question a lot about the difference between the pregnancies. The first one was one of almost being completely disconnected spiritually, in awareness, in you know my own power, in my own choices, in my own voice, though desperately wanting to be the best at it because I wanted to transcend any stereotype of being a teen mother I really just wanted to be everything to her that I didn't have in my own life, but then also draw wisdom because, you know, at that time, I was still struggling as a teenager with my mom in that relationship. And I was like, I don't want to be anything like her. But truthfully, she was, you know, wise and giving and loving in so many ways that I needed to be like her. That was the first one where I was just reading all the books, you know, doing everything that my doctor said, wanting to be the best at everything, desperate to be good and right as a mother. last. to my last, my fifth pregnancy where I'm just, you know, I think that after that many, I felt a little bit expert. I felt a little bit more comfortable in my skin and just really wanting it to be completely connected and wanting so much for people to hear my voice and wanting to be so much, you know, empowered and in the moment of the experience. So stark contrast. I mean, the last pregnancy, I didn't keep a baby book. I didn't step on a scale. I have no idea how much I weighed at the end on, you know, birthing day. And (laughs) It's hilarious because the other day someone asked me to answer a question about my second pregnancy. And I went back to the baby book that I kept for my son, Calvin, who's now 18 years old. And I realized that at birth, I was only four pounds heavier than I am right now. And right now loving my body and wondering how 40 pounds heavier, you know, that I was back then, how I could feel so, you know, aligned with my goddess nature and feeling really good and healthy in my body. So that was another interesting, fun fact that came up for me. Just Oh gosh, night and day. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question at all, but <laughs> I'm like, I'm marveling at the difference myself.
0: Oh, it's so interesting to me, and I'm always curious because you have so much, I guess, data and wisdom through doing this multiple times. Sometimes I feel like if I do it twice, will I finally feel like I'm like, oh, I understand this thing, but now I'm not going to do it anymore. No.
1: Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I do it. Let me tell you, every single time was so different from the last, from the others that. I know that I can be pregnant or give birth a hundred times and not have all the wisdom. And it's one of the reasons why I went into a doula practice to help other women, you know, guide them through their own birthing experiences, but also to glean that wisdom because I was such a, you know, a birth junkie and I really wanted to continue to be part of that long after I was done or thought I was done. And all of the births I've witnessed, they've been so similar in so many ways, but also very unique and Huge learning experiences for me. And you can't know it all. You can't know it all. You just have to trust that everything's normal. It's in alignment with, you know, the universe's desires for us. Go with the flow with
0: it. Hmm. But you can't know. You can't. I love this that you took on being a birth doula almost to learn more. What are some of the things that you wish more people knew about pregnancy in the postpartum period? Like if you could bless everyone with some sort of wisdom download, what would you share?
1: A couple of things that I share with my mothers, especially when fear comes up, and this is something that I share with my mothers, but then I also transfer into all other areas of my life, that the discomfort, that the pressure, even the fear and the pain, if you want to characterize those sensations that way, all of those things are in service to bringing something forth, beautiful and miraculous. And that is my true belief. So. Yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, the experience is going to suck a little bit at times, but you're getting something so good out of it, whether it's learning, experience, a baby, which is awesome. Hmm. There's so much to be learned. And then the second part that I repeat again and again and again through, you know, the birthing process is, I love you too, my three-year-old just walked in the
0: room.
1: (laughs) Is that it's normal, that while our experiences are special, they aren't unique. There are no new stories. So it could feel, you know, very different to you, but there are women all over the world going through the same thing that you are right at this very moment. And if you can draw, maybe not on their conscious wisdom, but that energetic wisdom, that feeling that it's happening and, and you aren't alone and that we're in this together. Again, that transcends all different areas of life.
0: Hmm. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. There are literally at this moment in time, so many women around the world and so many people going through things that are similar to you. That's really yeah. powerful. Yeah. So you wrote something on your blog that I love. You mm-hmm. talk about how every birth is a beautiful birth. We may have plans for it to go a certain we're way. <laughs> Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: birth plan. I know. Yeah. I'm like running away from her as it's going. This is how it's going to go, by the way, because I don't know where my husband went. But yeah, I think that that's the biggest concern for women is that they aren't going to have the birth that they want or it's going to turn out in a way that, you know, that they didn't plan. And I have to remind them constantly. That the best way to have a perfect birth for you is to be completely open to anything that can happen and to understand that things are going to change and that you can have a perfect birth at home in your bed. You can have one in a hospital, in a birthing suite, and again, in life, that when we become you know, in love with the process and not attached to the outcome, we are serving ourselves in a very beautiful way. It's something that's hard to do because as a society, especially Americans, we get very attached to The results and we judge success by what happens at the end and we kind of lose ourselves in that attachment. So I would like to remind people with the birthing process, whether it's, you know, it's the beginning of labor and all the joys and the excitement and the curiosities that happen along the way before the baby comes. And then in life, just every single day being in love with the process of a project that you're working on or the growth of a relationship acknowledge the successes, the tiny successes and the joys along the way, because that's where life is happening. It's not happening at the end. At the end, it's done. It's over. Yeah. So it's all the little moments in between that mean so much.
0: Mm. You said meditation saves my life every day. What does that mean?
1: Well, for me, I have to start with the definition of meditation for me. and, And that's It's a way to acknowledge yourself, acknowledge your feelings, to say, hey, I'm here for you. I'm a friend to you. You matter. You're worthy of listening to. You're worthy of my time. And then it's also a way to just check in and create chapter breaks throughout your day and just allow yourself to reflect on the moment and then also prepare yourself and ask yourself how you want to show up for the next moment. So I'm someone who deals with anxiety. I deal with depression. And if I were to go throughout my day without taking a minute to just acknowledge myself and acknowledge my feelings several times a day, I would carry the burdens of not only the morning all the way to the evening, but I'd be carrying the burdens of my childhood all the way up to the present moment. So I take a lot of time to sit and take a few breaths and say, Hey, you're worthy of this time. You're worthy of taking a break. You're worthy of slowing down. How are you feeling right now? Your current circumstances, how are they serving you? And how does your reaction to them serve you? And how do you want to show up for the next moment? I do that like 75 times a day. (laughs) <laughs> Especially like now when I'm running around escaping a three-year-old going, where's my husband? <laughs> and I have to ask myself, all right, you know what? This is happening. I'm allowing for this to happen. How do I want to show up in this moment?
0: Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, it's so wild to watch like what our brains do, what our minds do about what's happening. Like all of yeah. the layers and layers of stories and judgments. mm. You also wrote, and now I'm just telling you what you've said before, but I, <laughs> I, I love these quotes, but you said, happiness is a natural state and available to you. And yes, I want to ask you about that, but I also want to dig in specifically for people who, and maybe this is you as well, but people who are in a really rough spot. I know from my mm-hmm. own experience and from having friends and family members go through really rough times that sometimes it's really hard to hear those words. Like mm-hmm. it can be hard to understand that happiness is available to you or that it's even possible. Can you talk to that?
1: Yeah, well, I promise you I'm not a jerk. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one of those people. Seriously, because, okay, I have to tell you a little bit about my background. I'm someone who grew up in abject poverty. I'm coming from a place of neglect, of witnessing a lot of abuse, being surrounded by addiction. I myself was in an abusive Very volatile marriage for 10 years. So I'm not speaking from a place of, you know, having a Pollyanna attitude or not understanding what real suffering is. And I come from a legacy of this. You know, I think I had it much better than even my parents. So if I didn't have a belief that light existed in every single moment, that there wasn't another side of my experience, that there wasn't another side of the coin that would provide healing or at least learning or growth from what I was going through, I would have drowned in my suffering. I would have drowned in my situation. And I'm certainly not saying to anyone that you can experience instant healing or you can you know, get out of a relationship that you feel trapped in immediately. But what you can do is acknowledge that there is something else out there and you can hold on to that belief. It has to be a belief, not a hope because in hope there is failure, but in belief there is conviction. The metaphors I use for this and it comes up in my meditations a lot is this idea of a storm that's brewing overhead and maybe you've been in an airplane in a storm. And this is the easiest way to understand this for me. Is that you know you're on the tarmac and you're in the plane and this and the storm's going on. There's black clouds and it's dark everywhere around you and you know there might be this upheaval of wind or debris or whatever. But then there's that moment that you take off and you break through the clouds and you realize that even during that storm the sun was shining overhead. That that is constant. That it's always out. So when I'm in those moments of darkness and feeling really lonely or feeling very scared, I just acknowledge that the good is also happening and it allows me to hold on because there were times in my life when I didn't want to anymore. There were times in my life when I was very near to suicide. And even as a child, a teenager, I attempted it and it landed me in group homes and it landed me in treatment. And those times though, I think that the thing that brought me out of it quickly, not to a place of total happiness and joy and peace and healing, But at least in a place where I could move on and take the next step was that understanding that joy happens, too, and that it can happen at the same time as pain. They are not mutually exclusive.
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) You told me before we got on the podcast, too, that one of the things you did was you reframed a story from when you were growing up and you were collecting cans with your father. Mm -hmm. How did Mm -hmm. you reframe that? What was the process you went through and how did it change?
1: I realized something with the help of my own life coach and the help of this work that I do every single day that oftentimes when I'm caught in anxiety or panic or overwhelm, it's a result of a negative fantasy that I'm creating in my head. And when I step back and I take the time to meditate, to take 10 deep breaths, inhales and exhales, and just acknowledge the reality of the moment, my negative fantasy starts to dissipate. So I practiced this with some past traumas. And one of those traumas was being poor and a regular practice that my father had to make money. And he kind of like disguised it as a way for us to make money to buy some toys was to go out and collect cans in our neighborhood. And we did not live in a city where people would see other people collecting cans. It wasn't a normal thing. It was like we were in basically this little suburban, like, working-class community. And then there's this guy and his two little girls, like, like, seven and four at the time, out collecting cans off the train tracks and in, you know, dumpsters. This was something as an adult that felt very traumatic to me. I was angry with my father. I didn't understand why my mother would let him do it. Like, why couldn't he find another way to pay his bills? I felt embarrassed about going to the recycling facility and then taking my crumpled dollars into Toys R Us and buying myself a little toy. Like, I was embarrassed by all those things. But then I took a moment to acknowledge that maybe it was a negative fantasy that I had been creating, a negative story around this, and that it wasn't actually the reality. So, I went into meditation and I revisited that time as if I was really there in that moment. And what I discovered when I did that was in contrast to what the story I was telling myself, it was actually a beautiful time that I was spending with my dad. It was a time marked by a sense of adventure and excitement and joy and playfulness and I loved going out and collecting the cans because I knew that I was going to be able to go buy like a Mr. Potato Head or buy Little Pony or like something really cool for myself. And it was a treat. And in that moment, I felt this new love for my father, this new admiration for his playfulness and his resourcefulness and his willingness to do anything for his family, to bring them joy and to survive and his creativity. So all those years, I had been angry and resentful and shameful and now all of a sudden it's a story i love to tell because wow you know i struggled to survive sometimes like with my own kids and to look good in front of people and wondering what other people think and just you know, making ends meet and all that stuff and i'm just like he went out and collected cans on the streets with his little girls like he hmm. just made it happen hmm. and i'm sure there was pain in that for him but we didn't see it how did you find meditation I stole a book <laughs> <laughs> through shoplifting. <laughs> I was <laughs> well, and that was another result of poverty. My mother was working part time in a used bookstore for her girlfriend, and I was helping my mother move the bookstore to a new location. And I was fifteen. It was "Be Here Now" by Ram Dass. It was sitting on the shelf, and it was the coolest, most interesting book I had ever seen. It had the mandala on the cover. It had you know his name was funny ram das i didn't, hadn't you know encountered someone named that before and i didn't have the money to buy it so i snuck it home and quickly devoured it you know i was searching for something obviously at 15 i was searching for something more i came from a fairly religious household that was the first time that prayer was introduced to me as something that can go inward instead of outward i started praying, meditating in this new way every day, looking to myself for wisdom, looking to myself for the solution, and also taking more responsibility instead of laying blame on the world, my family. I had this addiction, and I still kind of do in a way, of believing that the world is unfair, this attachment to like bad things are going to happen. That's the first time that I started to understand my own responsibility and my own power to change my circumstances. And I've meditated every single day since. So
0: I'm going to be 40. (laughs) It's
1: been a long time.
0: Wow. I just want to get out my moleskin and take a whole bunch of notes. This is your, like, <laughs> well, we're recording this. So I know, you so you can I can later. It. And I'm just like, <laughs> you, listeners, I'm just sitting here like absorbing this, probably just you like don't, you. You don't have to shoplift.
1: <laughs> if, if anyone has a need, I'll just send you a copy and be here now. I've given away dozens of copies so over funny. the years. But yeah, that's how I discovered
0: it. You know what? My yoga teacher always told me, and she's like, I don't care what got you in the door. You're here now. You know, she's yes. like, your ego mm-hmm. probably brought you here. You want to look great. Like you wanted toned arms. <laughs> like That's fine. She's like, that is totally great because now you're here. So you know what? That's what got you there and Mm -hmm. total respect for that. I also want to talk about the business that you grew and Mm -hmm. this farm that you live on. You live on an eight-acre farm in New Jersey. When did that become a reality for you?
1: I love this story. I'm going to try to tell it briefly. Okay. (laughs) So my husband was, when I met him, he was wildly successful commercial and uh, celebrity music photographer. And we had this whirlwind romance. I already had three children. I was a single mom of three when I met him. And you know we fell in love very quickly. We got married. We had this big, gorgeous wedding in the Poconos, invited all of our friends, spent all of our own money on it. It was so great. And we stayed in this really cool house on the resort, on the property. And it was kind of 80s. It was definitely built in the 80s in the decor, but we fell in love with it. We just thought it was the greatest thing. And I said, you know what? I want a house like this when we buy our own home. And immediately after we got married, we fell on super hard times financially. Magazines were shutting down. His work just dried up. I was helping him with his work, so I wasn't making any money. And that first Christmas together, he gave me a charm bracelet and it had a little cabin on it and engraved on the other side. It said, our cabin. And he said, no matter what, we're going to get that cabin in the woods. Like that is still the dream. So... What I believe manifesting is for everyone, it's not this mystical, magical thing. It's something that, you know, calls on the magic that we have inside ourselves. From that point on, every single decision that we made, we basically asked ourselves, how does this serve this dream of having this home in the woods and this property? Subconsciously and consciously, we started stepping toward opportunities. And I became more confident and brazen in what I wanted to do. So I started speaking out online. I started making videos. I started taking yoga classes. I started like putting myself in front of mentors that I, you know, could only have dreamed about talking to before because I was so intimidated. And I went up and had a class with Tara Styles in her studio and started talking to her about my hopes and dreams. It was a year and a half later. We got pregnant with my fourth baby summer. And shortly after that, he got this amazing job opportunity and my career started taking off and we earned the money to make a big giant town payment on this house that I'm sitting in now from now talking to you because we had to because we were freelance and no one would give us a mortgage, especially in that climate. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to put down like 50% to buy the house. But we had... 192 houses on this big list that we were going to go see and then 19 that we were seeing that day. And the first one we walked into was this one. And I'm telling you, I hadn't seen it. There were no pictures of the inside. We walked in the layout down to the basement, down to the sun porch, down to the property. It was almost identical to the house we stayed in, in the Poconos. And I was like, all right, we're going to go look at the other houses, but this is the one. (laughs) Now we're here. (laughs) So I still have the charm bracelet. I would have to add more charms on it, like a million-dollar lottery ticket and those types of
0: things because it works. And this eight-acre farm. So Mm -hmm. tell us about, I mean, I know that you do so much on the farm, and then you have Mm -hmm. this you host events there, you bring people yeah. to you. And now is something else that you wanted to call into being. Tell mm-hmm. us about that. What is it? And what does it look like?
1: Okay, so it's so generous calling it a farm. I call it that. But it's, it's really like this dusty patch of woods, where we rescue farm animals. So we have goats and pigs and chickens and guinea fowl and rescued barn cats. And it's like this ragtag, mangy bunch of animals that- <laughs> it Sounds like a farm. Love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, nothing green grows here that by our hands, but uh. we're, we're working on that. So we're trying. So we have this little dusty plot. And my good friend, Megan Watterson, who's also a Hay House author, and she's just brilliant and beautiful. Oh, she's also a theologian. She was talking about this idea of having a lady church. And it just- struck me because the first church that I was ever part of as a little girl was a house. It was a little white house owned by Ma and Pa Conover, we call them. There was a pool in the back where people would get baptized and there was no minister. There was no preacher. We would just get together basically for Bible study and hang out. And I remember sitting there and watching my parents just learn in a circle. And I remember the verse from the Bible, you know, wherever two or more are gathered, I am in their presence. And I said, I could have a church here like I could have a community learning space here so I looked at my husband's garage that was always annoying me because he was full of crap I don't even know what he was doing out there most of the time And I was like you know what we're gonna clean this out and I'm gonna convert this into just a meditation studio and it was that quick like I looked at it I charged things that I couldn't afford. I took all the cash that I had. I converted my garage and I called it The Bliss Inn. My tagline is Bliss Inn with an IN meaning to look within instead of out for your bliss and I called the Bliss Inn with two Ns and I kind of audaciously just started calling it a community learning space and a lady church and asked my teacher friends that I love to come and host events. And people come to this little tiny population 2500 town in the middle of New Jersey. And they learn stuff here. We've had plant medicine workshops, Reiki certifications. I just had a vision board workshop, we have someone coming out another wellness workshop, meditations, yoga, all the things. It's really cool.
0: That's amazing. I love it. This brings me to ask you about like the scope of your business because when I look yeah. at everything that you do online and see there's in-person offerings and there's online mm-hmm. workshops and you've got this blog, you've got this amazing YouTube channel, you've got a really active Facebook community, how do you prioritize or can you tell us a little bit about how it grew? Like what came first and then how did you layer things in? It grew organically
1: and messily and <laughs> kind of just driven by my own spirit and my passion for the things that I wanted. I'm very, very hesitant to give advice about business because for me, this is a mission. It has nothing to do with making money and everything to do with fulfilling what I believe is my life's purpose, my mission, which I have refined in meditation to be a message that I share with my audience, which is we have a shared purpose and that is to love, to be loved, to learn and to teach. And we are all expressions of God. We're all expressions of the universe, unique And special, but also very much sharing in the same experience as everyone else. So we have this responsibility to be very present and then also to serve our communities at large. In my own healing and my own desire to be more connected, I started reaching out to people online. And when people started following me and asking for advice and asking for more, it was in service that I provided that. There was no hope of making money. But then, of course... I was spending a ton of time on it and I saw an opportunity like, oh, okay, I can start partnering with other influencers. I hate that word, but <laughs> partnering and collaborating <laughs> with other people who are doing the things that I was doing. I could start partnering with brands to spread the message further and then also pay my bills. Awesome. The basic structure of my business, the nuts and bolts, is that I create YouTube videos. And that gave me an outstanding platform to reach people face-to-face and for people to get a you know, feel for my own personality and to tell my story in a way that felt very natural to me. Then, of course, I used Facebook. I created a Facebook group that I love. My Facebook community is everything to me. And I just started sharing my story on other platforms like Instagram. It's very much just me talking about my healing journey every day and the modalities that healed me. And then also whatever I think is in service to my community. So not everyone loves meditation. So I bring in Jess Ortner to talk about tapping or Michael Perrine to talk about, you know, real nutrition and Nicole Jardine to talk about hormonal health or Kate Northrup to talk about money. It's like, I have this amazing crew that is available to me. And I'm like, if I'm going to get it, you know, for free, I'm going to offer it to my audience because it would serve them too. Because another part of my mission is to make wellness inclusive to all. I'm a biracial woman that came from poverty. And I really want my community to reflect the diversity of my friendships and my personal community and family. I welcome everybody. So you can get access to healing stuff, you know, mm-hmm. for free. And then also there's premiums. There's like other ways to work with me. Yeah. So I don't know that I answered, but I also do private coaching. I also do these live events. I do everything that feels good. And I try to be organized about it. <laughs>
0: So who helps you? And do you have a team? What does the kind of behind the scenes look like of your business?
1: Who helps me? <laughs> so for a long time, I took a lot of pride in being a one woman show. And then I realized that that was stupid. and That was my ego. And I dropped that like a hot potato. So my husband helps me every day. We both work from home. and He's amazing and gentle and kind and really supportive. I have a beautiful launch manager who helps me No one's full-time. So I just bring people in when I need them. But my launch manager is pretty much my go-to for making sure that my website looks good and that my messaging is correct. And she helps me launch different products and programs as they come along. And then I have my illustrator who helps me with some graphics sometimes. She did the illustrations of my books. I have a copywriter who helps me with blogs that I don't want to write for like, like say, if I'm doing a vlog for Mind Body Green, like seven things that moms need to know about whatever. I'll, like, I'll write like <laughs> the outline and then she'll fill it in because I hate writing those, but it's a really great opportunity to share on bigger platforms. But yeah, so I don't have any kind of permanent team. I aspire to, but the truth is I'm still working through my own, my own tendencies to want to be in control of everything. Like no one's allowed to fold my laundry and nobody's allowed to write my Instagram posts. Like that's
0: that's <laughs> where I am right now. Uh, what does childcare look like or school situation? <laughs> oh
1: well, you heard my three year old bust in. I did. <laughs> that's another one where it's kind of like this money mindset stuff that maybe I have to call in Kate Northrup to help me with. But I'm kind of like if I could do it myself, why pay somebody to do it? So I've never had childcare. I've never had a babysitter. My kids go to preschool and I, you know, do a little victory dance every time I send them off on the bus in the morning, like, <laughs> thank goodness you're gone. Um, but they all go to public school. They're all brilliant, wonderful, beautiful kids. I enjoy very much being around them, but I'll tell you this. So this morning, my three-year-old, she came up to me and we just took out the Duplo blocks that belong to her oldest brothers and sisters. We unearthed toys every once in a while to recycle them and be like, Oh, look at this new thing that we got. She's very excited about them. And she's like, mommy, can you build a house with me? Which was so super sweet and the cute. Sweetest. <laughs> yeah, I know. But then I said, no, honey, I don't want to do that right <laughs> now because I'm taking some time for myself before I do this podcast and I was watching a documentary on Netflix. So childcare for me, a big part of, you know, managing my house and the way I interact with my kids and the way they interact with my business is creating boundaries around what I want to do, what I don't want to do, what there's time for, what there isn't time for, when things should be done. So she wanted to play with the blocks and I told her no. And I said, I'm sure you're going to build a beautiful house. And I'm really excited to see it when I'm all done with my work today. But right now I'm taking a rest and then I'm going to do my work and then I'm going to be with you. And my kids are extremely independent. I mean, this is one thing that I've done right is that I've really created a life for myself and I've let them see me live it. One of my favorite quotes about parenting that's been on my refrigerator for 20 years now is my father did not teach me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. And that is how I parent. That's how I guide my clients, my coaching clients. I just try to be the example. And I want my daughters, especially to grow up to be fiercely independent, empowered women who say no, when they don't want to do something. And yes, like hell yes, when they do, and that appreciate their families and love their families and, you know, want to be fully engaged with them and never resentful towards them. So, and that's what I got. Like the kids are all right. They're awesome. And they play by themselves.
0: They play by themselves a lot. (laughs) You know, I think that's so great because I was reading something somewhere where it said that moms who are working full time today in the Mm -hmm. 2000s, 2010s, spend more quality time with their kids than stay at home moms did 50 years ago. Like we are still squeezing in six hours a day with our children Mm -hmm. before work and after work. And I just said, oh, wow, there's so much like pressure and anxiety we put on ourselves to be these perfect like mythological Mm -hmm. parents that isn't true. It's not real. And there's something huge you're giving your kids, I'm sure, in like being able to entertain yourself for an hour is a huge skill that we all need a little more of.
1: I'm very excited for the new message of multitasking being garbage. It's like literally trash. I throw it away. I'm not into it. And I'll tell my kids I'm doing something right now. And when I'm done, I'll do the next thing. Like, don't even ask me for something when my mind is on something else. Like, is this an emergency? No. Okay. So hold your thought and we'll talk about it as soon as we're done. My 14 year old, he texts me. I don't know why they're allowed to have phones in school. It drives me insane. But he texts me questions all day long from school because he's bored. And my response always, I don't know when he's going to get it, but my response is, honey, you're at school. I'm at work. We'll talk about this as soon as you're home. I'll give you time. I can't do that whole mind switching thing. I can't do that running back and forth. I can't do the, I'm on the laptop, but I'm also trying to pretend to be engaged with my child thing. Hmm. So let me just get the work done in half the time because I'm actually concentrating on it. And then I'll be with you. And then it is quality. You know, I have five kids. I have a business. My husband has a business. We have quote unquote busy lives. And people always say to me like, how do you do it all? And I'm like, girl, I watch so much Netflix. I have (laughs) real housewife marathons with my 20-year-old. It's totally trash. I shouldn't feed her mind that, but she's a brilliant scientist and she's great. But we watch a lot of housewives together. We have so much quality time. We eat dinner together as a family every single night. Like I don't know why other people are so busy. I don't know what they're doing during the day, but I really attribute my lack of busyness to doing one thing at a time and being engaged in what I'm engaged in and also
0: not doing things I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I just don't. It's dumb. So tell us about that. Cause I love asking yeah. people this question. What don't you do? What is definitely not on your agenda? Like you'll never get to it. You don't want to do it. Tell us about those things. I don't
1: gossip. I hate it. And I find that a lot of conversation is gossip or nonsense. I just don't like nonsense conversation. And I'm very clear about it with my friends and with other people. And I spend a lot of time engaging with people and I have really fantastic, fulfilling conversations all the time. So I don't gossip. What don't I do? I don't know because I don't do it. (laughs) I can tell you what I do during the day. You know, like I do a lot of things that feel like nurturing, you know, housewives is trash, but it feels nurturing to me. I do that. I spend time sitting and eating. Like I like to sit down and eat. So we do have a breakfast. We do have a lunch. We do have a dinner. Gosh, what don't I do? I don't do telesummits that, <laughs> that are annoying. <laughs> like, I, you know, it's, and, and that's another thing that's especially when it comes to business. And I think this is the biggest thing for me is that I spent a lot of time in my business in the beginning saying yes to everything because I had the sense that if I didn't say yes to every opportunity that I wasn't going to grow or that, you know, I'd be doing myself a disservice. And truthfully, everything that I said yes to that I didn't want to do. Never panned out to be anything for me. And I learned finally that I had to really want to do it, that it had to feel special, that I had to be excited about it. Because those are the things that worked out. Those are the things that even when they were little, when I had no idea that it was going to turn out to be something amazing, like when I wanted to be a backup yogi on Sadie Nardini's show. I said yes to that because I was like, that seems cool. I've never been on a TV show before. So I did that and I ended up getting my own show because of it. Well, I mean, there was a lot of other factors like me getting in the executive producer's face and be like, I have a YouTube channel too. But (laughs) I never knew that wasn't the goal going in. So it's so cliche to say you only live once and you have this finite amount of time on earth, but I really believe it. I live it. I just can't waste moments engaged in nonsense, so even if it's like Girl Scouts last night, I'm a co-leader for my daughter's Girl Scout thing, and there's two other moms that lead. They're extraordinary women. Like they spend so much time on Girl Scouts and like selling the cookies and doing the things. And I was very clear with them at the start, like, I will show up, I will be on time you can assign me a lot of different things like that I'm good at. But if you're asking me to craft something or like, like whatever, something that's outside of my realm of expertise, like I'm just going to say no. And I hope that that's okay. And it, Inspired them to do the same. So I had the one cookie mom who was in complete cookie burnout and we had like a nice little session together and she decided, you know what? I don't want to do cookies and I'm doing this for the wrong reasons. And I'm not doing it next year. And we're going to distribute the responsibility among all the moms. I'm like, yes, this is so awesome. So. After Girl Scouts, a lot of the moms they hang out and they want to gossip or talk about what's going on at school or the other moms, whatever. And I'm like, Yeah, I'm going to check out and go home and be home with my husband. You and know? Watch so just...
0: <laughs> no, he won't. He won't allow that. Oh. <laughs> we'll watch something else.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so it's just stuff like that. We all have the same 24 hours as Beyonce. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's that yeah, thing. It's we true. really
0: do. So this is so interesting to me because I think it's so important. And for women, in a certain way, saying no can be really hard because of societal pressure and expectation and also yeah. it can be hard to even get clear about knowing what you want in the first place how mm. ah, tell me <laughs> please please feel free to disagree with me at any time tell me yep. what you
1: think go ahead well yes it's hard to say no because of societal pressure and then i would ask you i ask my clients this all the time how is that working out for you mm. do you feel good mm. so it's like i gave in to this person's opinion i gave in to this person's expectation did it feel good At the end of it, when you did that, like we have to learn from these things too. We have to be engaged in the experience and ask ourselves questions. And that's what meditation is too. It's just taking the time to contemplate one issue, one thought, one situation carefully and with honesty and ask yourself, what is the reality of this? And then what is the story that I'm telling myself about it? So that's a lot of the meditation that I do. How is this serving me? How do I feel about this? So I think that saying no can be hard because We don't want to let people down and we don't want to be outcast or rejected, but you get used to it (laughs) and then it feels good. It's like, whatever. I mean, like they were mad at me and everybody got over it and it was fine. And, And, you know, the people that are aligned with that behavior stick around and then the other people kind of fade away. I have zero drama in my life. Actually, I have no drama because people know exactly what they're going to get with me and they know how I'm going to deal with things and they don't bring a lot of nonsense to me because I don't engage in it. I don't tolerate it. Knowing what you want, I think, is super easy. I mean, we know what feels good and what doesn't. We're just not taking the time to sit with it and actually ask ourselves how we feel about it. We're just kind of moving to the next thing, moving to the next thing and not experiencing the moment. So I think we know what we like.
0: Hmm. Hmm. That's so interesting. I've seen people who have struggled in that place of, mm-hmm. I don't know what's next. I don't know where I want to go. I don't, I'm not sure. Well, that's
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah. Be okay with being unsure. I mean, we're not supposed to be psychic. We can have some kind of um, idea of how we want to feel. Danielle Laporte does this beautifully. So maybe you don't know exactly what you want to do, but you know how you want to feel. I don't know what the end of my life is going to look like or retirement is going to look like, but I know that I want to feel in service. I know I want to feel happy, and like excited about waking up in the morning. I know I want to feel in love. So every day when I'm presented with an opportunity or a business decision or a decision about how I'm going to react to my husband, I'll say, if I act this way now, how does it serve me being in love with him when I'm 75? Like I got to live with this person, this jerk for the rest of my life. Hmm. And like if, if we're not getting along or if this is the way that I'm making the interactions go, then it's not serving my being in love with him when we're old. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope, well, maybe tomorrow and hopefully in the next five months because I have a book due, but I'm as to be writing a book, you know, I know how I want to feel and that guides me a lot.
0: So what are you excited about now and what are you building next? What's on the Ooh. forecast for you? So
1: I'm really excited about my group coaching program
0: called Block to Bliss.
1: And it's, the work that I do in my own life and that my husband actually does too. And I'm sharing it with my community. And it's extraordinary, like I'm freaking out about how proud I am of it. So that's not a business. So I'm also supposed to be writing a book. I say supposed to be because I'm in complete denial of my <laughs> September deadline. Um So there's that. And that's going to be about my experience with motherhood. It is not a parenting book. It will be in the parenting section, but I do not give parenting advice. I just really love talking about motherhood and my relationship with it. I'm really excited about my husband and me finally decorating my house because we've lived here for six years. I'm just getting nervous about physical change in my environment. So I just bought a book, The New Bohemian's Handbook by Justine Blakely, I believe Hmm. her name is. And I mean, this is changing my life. So my mother was this huge hippie and into bohemian style and had plants everywhere. And I think because I was so resistant to being like her, I resisted that I actually love that, too. And she passed away five years ago. And I'm telling you, I'm becoming her. But all the best parts of her, thank goodness. And I talk to her every day. And she was like, woman, buy this book because you know you want it. So I've been looking at the book like a Bible. And I got my first houseplant named Greg. My daughter bought it for me. And I put it in a pot yesterday. So big things are happening. (laughs) It's in a pot. That's awesome. um... (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so silly. Life is just the, it's the silliest experiment ever. I'm just having so much fun.
0: It totally is. My husband always laughs. We have like six houseplants now and he'll occasionally find them all in the bathtub. And I'm like, I forgot to water them. Like, yeah. and I just soak them in the bathtub. Um, it's so
1: great though. Yeah. The 20 year old, she's in her second year at Ithaca. She's a biochemistry major. And she talks a lot about like our relationships with the environment. And she was telling me how houseplants make you more successful in business. So I'm bring me all the houseplants (laughs) because
0: I need them. (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's so great. Okay. So where can people find out about you? Where should they go on the internet and on the social webs and also find out about your books?
1: They should go to my website because I love traffic there. It makes my publisher happy. So go to (laughs) bexlife.com, B-E-X life.com. And there you'll find the links for social media. I love my social media when you see me commenting and liking and posting that is 100% me usually at 4am before my filter goes on. I love going live on Facebook. My Facebook community is everything to me. And I live for the camera and just really having that, you know, energetic interaction with people. So go to Beck's life, click on all the links, join all the groups. I promise you it'll be fun. We're gonna have a good time.
0: Oh, it's fun. I've spent (laughs) lots of hours there. It's great. (laughs) Thank you. you. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thank you. This is fun. This podcast is made possible by sponsors like you. Consider supporting this podcast with a monthly donation on our Patreon page. Head to patreon.com startuppregnant We've got folks who we call our coffee friends who donate the equivalent of a cup of coffee each month to make this show possible. And we're backed by companies we believe in that can help make the lives of busy entrepreneurs and parents a little bit easier. If you want to become one of our company sponsors, head to startuppregnant.com slash podcast and get in touch. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to StartupPregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs, and I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at StartupPregnant.com. We love hearing from you.